Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 is where we're going to be today. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, the man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Well, this morning, uh, the passage we're looking at, it's, it's, it's cool because it's kind of sandwiched. Verse 1, verse 7 are, again, times where Luke is pointing out what God is doing in the church, where he's advancing the kingdom. And, and we've seen this throughout the book of Acts. We're going to continue to see it where uh, in chapter um, 2, it talks about that, that um, about, about 3,000 people after Peter preached, about 3,000 people come to know the Lord. At the end of that uh, chapter, in, in, at the end of chapter 2, it says day by day, God's adding to their number. The Lord's adding to their number. Day by day, people who are believing in Jesus as their Savior. Uh, it goes on and it talks about how uh, the numbers increase to, to uh, around 5,000 men. And then it stops giving us numbers, right? And it talks about how more than ever, people are coming to know the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And, and again, he, 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 he takes notice of the disciples were increasing in number. And then we're going to talk later about verse 7 where uh, the, the numbers increase. And guys, it's not about the numbers. Luke's not doing this because of the numbers of people. He's doing it because as the church, we ought to look at that and we ought to respond with praise. We ought to look at what God's doing. It's it's God that's drawing people to himself. Uh, that's what Jesus said. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And so, so it's God drawing people to himself more and more and more and more. And whether it's in Scripture or whether it's around the country or whether it's around the world, we ought to look at that. We ought to rejoice. And even as we pray for Andy, we ought, we ought, to, we ought to want to know, what is God doing through your church? How is he advancing the kingdom through your church? We want to know what God's doing in the world, and we want to celebrate because God's kingdom has not ended. It's not stopped. The, the apostles didn't die and then the work quit. It just kept going and going and going and going. And 2,000 years later, I'm preaching because Jesus Christ reached into my life and forgave me of my sins and, and washed me and cleaned me. And you're sitting here, most of you, because one day God opened your eyes and shined into your heart and you said, God, you are worth being treasured. His kingdom has not stopped advancing. And, and it's just Luke reminding of this. God's kingdom is going to go on and on and on and on until he says stops and gathers his church and we live with him forever and ever and ever. It's going to keep going. And when we see that in Scripture, when we see that around the world, we ought to praise. We ought to just in our hearts, we ought to say, man, Lord, you are doing a great work and you keep doing a great work in the church. And we're just thankful. We're thankful to be a part of it. As I read these, I just think, God, thank you so much that I'm a part of it. Thank you that I'm not on the outside looking in, wondering, what is this all about? God, you've saved me, and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. And so 
Luke starts with, with just mentioning that again. But the next thing that happens is there's a complaint that comes. Uh, it says in verse 1, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. A complaint by the Hellenists. Who are the Hellenists? Uh, the Hellenists are the Greek-speaking Jews. Okay, uh, The Greek-speaking Jews. The Hebrews are the Hebrew-speaking Jews. The Hellenists are the Greek-speaking Jews. Okay, And so there's a complaint that comes from the Hellenists because in the process of everything, their widows are not receiving during the distribution. Whether it's food or money or whatever is being distributed here, uh, they're missing out. And so there's a complaint that comes to the apostles and uh, the widows aren't being fed. The widows aren't um, being distributed to. And and in this, guys, is an opportunity. I mean, this is a, a real opportunity for Satan to attack. And he does. I mean, Satan's going to look at a, an opportunity like that and he's going to attack. Because here's a possible big problem in the church, right? And so Satan has this opportunity to attack and he does. And there's a complaint that comes up. And what are the apostles going to do about it? We just brush it aside and say, just, man, we got thousands. We don't know how many thousands of people are in the church here, right? It's gone beyond where they're given numbers. And so there's maybe 20, maybe 30,000 people who are now a part of the church. Who knows, right? And it's just like all these people and, and the apostles, what do they say? I mean, do they just look at it and say, man, we got, we got a church of 25,000 people. What are you talking about? I'm sorry that some of the people didn't get, but look at what God's, do they say that? How do they respond and how do they in, in, in a right way respond to the needs that are being uh, approached here and, and, and being complained about? And so it says um, that they come with their complaint and, and, and really what their complaint is showing is that the system that they're using right now is not working. You remember what the system is? We talked about it. We talked about it. There's a system that they're using to meet the needs of the, of the, the needy. Remember in chapter 4, it says that the people are selling their possessions. They're bringing the proceeds to the apostles' feet. And then the apostles are distributing it to those who have need. That's their system. That's the system that they have of meeting the needs of those those who are hungry, uh, those who are going without, those who are poor, whatever it is. This is the system that they have to meet those needs. It's not working anymore. It's not that it's a bad system. It's a great system. I mean, imagine to be a part of a church where, where people are looking around and, and they're saying, man, there's need and I have excess. And so I'm going to sell and, and whatever that excess is that I have, it's going to go to meet the needs of those who, who have want. It's a great system. The problem is not the system. The problem is the church is growing so fast. I mean, the numbers are going so fast. It's impossible for these 12 apostles to meet the needs of these thousands and thousands of people with this system now. And so it's not a problem um, with the system as it is. It's a problem with the system being used in this circumstance. They're just too big. It's growing too fast. And so they can't do this anymore. So there's a complaint that comes up from the Hellenists that says, our, you know, our widows aren't being fed. Got to do something. And, and, and it's true. I mean, they're being left out and, and certainly unintentionally. Um, but here's a genuine complaint that comes. And so verse two, here's, um, here's the response. Verse two, the 12 apostles summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So the twelve, the apostles, gathered together all the disciples. We don't know exactly how many that is. But this is their response. It's not right. It's not right for us to give up preaching the word to serve tables. Now, um, a couple things 
on this. Uh, number one, this is a legitimate issue. Uh, that's why the apostles are addressing it. It's, it's a real, genuine, legitimate, something's wrong in the church issue. And that's why the apostles are addressing it. But um, notice how they address it. The response is, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. I want to I mention something from John MacArthur. He notes this. Uh, it says, it may be helpful to note that the word for tables can mean a table or counter of a money changer or money matters, as well as an eating table. To involve themselves in the details of serving meals and handling money matters would take them away from their calling. Instead, they would devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The apostles knew their priority was praying, preaching, teaching, and studying the word. I tell you that, um, as we think through it, I don't want us to look at the, the apostles' response in the wrong way. Because we read it with the wrong inflection, and it sounds like this. Uh, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching to serve tables. Right? I mean, we can put that inflection on it, and it sounds like the apostles are like, we're not going to do that. We're not going to lower ourselves to serve tables. We're, we have, God chose us as the apostles, and we are not going to lessen ourselves by serving tables. We're not going to lessen ourselves by doing this. We're not going to uh, waste our time giving money to poor people or giving food to poor. They don't answer that way. That's not their response. That's not their heart behind it. Um, their heart is God has given us something to do. And the something that God has given us to do is vital in the church. We, the church cannot go on without the preaching of God's word. It can't. It has to be there. God's word is how people hear and know about him. Uh, Romans 10 says faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of Christ. Uh, we can't know God. We can't uh, even be saved. We can't come to know him without hearing, according to Romans 10, without hearing the word of Christ. That's how we know Christ. That's how we know God. And so what the apostles are saying is God has given us this. And what you're complaining about is as important. This is a need as well. And so we need to come up with a way that this is happening and this is still happening in the same way. Does that make sense? So, so what the apostles are not saying is that's not a big deal. It's not like the apostles are looking at it and saying, listen, you're complaining about something that's no big deal. Look, at least the Bible's being preached. At least, at least we have a sermon every week. At least we have uh, songs that we sing every week. Why are you complaining? It's, it's not that at all. It is a big deal. What the apostles are saying is, what we're doing is a big deal too. And we can't give this up to meet this need. And so we've got to find a way that both of these things are happening to the glory of God. We've got to find a way that the needs of the church are being met to the glory of God while God's word is still being preached in truth and, 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 and coming from Him and all of those things. That can't be sacrificed for other things. And so they go on. Um, and, and also, they're not, they're not saying that they're above this job. At all, okay. Uh, you look at the apostles, and and they are servants. Uh, you look at how they meet the needs of people as they're walking by. Uh, Acts chapter three, with the person that's sitting outside the gate. The apostles were not above that poor beggar. No, they love the needy. They love the hurting. They love those that have needs, and they, as much as possible, with their own hands, will touch and meet those needs. 
but they're not willing to sacrifice the teaching of God's word to do some other part in the church that can be met by the people of the church. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. So it goes on, and, and uh, it's this, uh, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So the apostles, they call the, the disciples together and say, we, we have to keep preaching God's word. We have to keep preaching God's word. We have to keep preaching God's word. But there's a need. And so what we want you to do, we want the, the number of the disciples, we want you to look over, oversee, and choose seven people that you will recommend to us to do this work. Seven people who can, who can fulfill meeting the needs of the widows, who can fulfill providing for the needy of the widows, specifically for the Hellenists, for this Greek-speaking uh, group. And, 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 and you choose seven people who can do that, and then we'll appoint them to service. And so um, the disciples begin to do that. And I love this, okay, because it's convicting, first of all. Um, because he doesn't just say go through and just pick out and, and, and just start asking seven people who's willing to do this. I mean, Dave, are you just are you willing? Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to do it? OK, we've, we found seven people. We had to ask 20, but seven of them said they were willing to do it. And here you go, apostles. Just there you go. We're done. It's not that it says there's qualifications. It's qualifications for who they pick. And it says in, in uh, verse, verse 3, it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Good repute, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. Man, I look at that and I'm, I'm convicted every time I read this passage because as, especially as church planners, what we tend to do is we have a need in the church. And we got to have this need met. We need someone to fulfill this part of the church. We have to have this. We need this uh, area of ministry. And so what we'll do is um, someone will come up and say, man, you know what? I, I love that. I love that right there. And we're like, are you kidding me? You love that? We need that. So let me show you. Let me introduce you to this person. And we'll plug you in right there. And this is awesome because we have this fulfilled. Ah, oh, what a relief. The church will advance now. And that's not what the apostles look at. The apostles say if, if the people are going to serve in this area, there's three areas that they have to qualify in. First of all, they have to be of a good reputation. They have to be men of integrity. They have to be men that the world and those around them can look at and say, I can see that. I can see that person doing that. I can see why they put that person there. I can see why they have that person serving in that area. Because I certainly see a good reputation. I see integrity in that man. I see integrity in that person. Yeah, that makes sense. There has to be a good reputation. There has to be integrity. There has to be a life that people can look at and say, yeah, I, I get that. They have to set an example of godliness. That's having a good reputation. So setting an example of godliness for the people around you. So the first qualification is that. If they're going to serve, I, I want you to pick seven people, but if they're going to serve, number one, they have to have a good reputation. They have to set an example of godliness. They have to be men of integrity. And especially, imagine if this has to do with finances, certainly. I mean, you have to have someone who's, who's a man of integrity, 
a person of integrity who's, who's trustworthy with those things. So the first thing is a good reputation. But look at the second thing, full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. I, I don't know if you know Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but being full of the Spirit has byproducts. There's fruit where you can look at someone and say, okay, there's fruit in that person's life that says the Holy Spirit's living inside of them. Because the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is that it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. So as you look for a person to serve tables, as you look for a person to, to meet the needs of the widows, look for someone who's loving. Look for someone who's joyful. Look for someone who's good. Look for someone who's faithful. Look for someone who's, who's kind. Look for someone who's self-controlled. Look for these things. And not just that, but being, being filled with the Spirit means that we are uh, submitting to the direction of the Spirit, to the direction of God. Uh, we're going where He wants us to go. We're doing what He wants us to do. We're being led by Him, not by our own desires, not by our flesh, not by what we uh, might be used to doing, but by what the Holy Spirit and what God would have us do and what He would command us to do. And so we're adhering to what the Holy Spirit does. Imagine that. Imagine that. I mean, imagine where everyone serving in the church is loving and joyful. Let's stop on that one for a little bit. Can you imagine? I mean, just coming to church and, and there's people serving and you just, man, that's, that guy just is the most joyful guy I've ever met. It looks like he's got God inside of him. It looks like he's got God living in him because, man, the dude is just joyful. Always. Imagine just self-controlled and, and all of those things. Love, joy, peace, patient. The people they're serving in the church are patient. They're kind. You don't have to worry what you say to them. You don't have to worry if you come in having a bad day because they're always going to be kind. I mean, they're just always kind. They're always joyful. And, and it's just like, man, what a blessing to, to see that. That's what the apostles are saying. If, if you're going to serve widows... These are the these are the qualifications. The third thing is this, full of wisdom. So you have a good reputation, you're full of the Holy Spirit, and you're full of wisdom. You don't just know stuff about God. You don't just know facts about God. You just don't have a knowledge of who God is and what He said. You have a, a way and an understanding of applying those things that God has said. That's what wisdom is. It's knowledge applied. And, and so it's, it's people who know God, who know His Word, who, who understand those things, but also have a, an understanding of how to apply those things, the knowledge of God to everyday life. That's a, that's a pretty big job requirement, right? I mean, honestly, when you look at that, when you look at these are the people who are going to serve in the church. These are the people who are going to do uh, the handing out of, of the distributing of food or money to the widows. And this is the requirement of them. It's pretty big. And I look at that, and, and, and the thing we have to do is we look at that. We can't look at that and say, it's just too much. It's too much to ask. What I look at that and I say is, God expects a lot. God gave a lot, and He expects a lot. God expects me to treasure Him above all things. And He expects me to put so much value in Him that I would have a good reputation. 
He expects me to have so much value in Him that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want that. I'd pray for that. Like Luke, in Je- where Jesus says in Luke, where, man, if anyone asks the Father for the Holy Spirit, how would He not give it? I ought to ask for that, and I ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit and living for Him. I ought, not, I not, ought to not cloud my mind with things that hinder the Holy Spirit from filling me. I do not bring things into my life that, that, that stop the Holy Spirit or, or hinder the Holy Spirit's influence in and through me. I have a good reputation. I ought to have the Holy Spirit influencing me. And I ought to just not know facts about God. I ought to be seeking Him in a way. And I ought to be praying for wisdom. James says that. If you don't have wisdom, which I probably could ask right now, and probably 100% of us would raise our hand and say, I don't feel like I have wisdom. Uh, what does James say? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him pray. And God, who's able to give, will give it to him. And so we ought to be praying for wisdom. We, we ought to be serving. We ought to be serving. But these are things that we ought to be seeking in our life. And as I look at that, man, I, I see that God's looking for people who are devoted to him. I see that God's looking for people who are wholeheartedly in love with Him. We go back to this passage so often, and I do because I think it's one of the most important passages in Scripture. But where Jesus, in Matthew thirteen forty four, He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure and hides it. And in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has so that he can buy the field. So he gets the treasure. The treasure is God. The treasure is God. And, and being saved is realizing that He's the greatest treasure that i could ever have in my life nothing else compares nothing else will compare ever because god's the greatest treasure i could ever find and when i see that when i when i realize that when i find that god is worth everything then coming to church and 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 serving as a person who has a good reputation who's full of the holy spirit and who's full of wisdom becomes a little more understandable it's not easier because uh, we still have me in the way. We still have you in the way. We still have us as a stumbling block. But what we realize is God is able. He's the greatest treasure, and, 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 and He saved me, and He's able to make me and help me be these, this person. And so I seek with all my heart to live a life that's pleasing to Him. I seek with all my heart to be filled with His, with His Holy Spirit, not with my will with His Holy Spirit instead. I seek with all my heart not just to to know God's Word, which is so important, but then to ask, God, please help me to apply this to life. Please help me live this out. Please help me to know what to do with what you've taught me in your Word. Please help me live this out in wisdom. Those are the qualifications for the men. Verse 4, it says, But we, the apostles, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Guys, this is huge, and it's, it's incredibly important. The apostles are looking at the circumstance of the widows not being fed, and they're saying, this is important. Uh, this has to be taken care of. If the needs of the widows are not met, the church is not going to advance like it, it eventually does. If the needs of the widows aren't met, then the church is not going to go forward like it's supposed to. Why? Because if the needs of the widows aren't advanced, are not met, that reflects back on the whole church. And not just on the whole church, it reflects back on Christ, who's the head of the church. Because here's needy people, and, and imagine the, the Pharisees looking in at the church, 
and seeing the widows who are not being fed and, and looking and saying, aha, see? Look at these people. You're such a loving group. You have Christ. And Christ came to seek and save the lost. And He came to bring all of these things. And look, look, look. You have needy people who aren't being met. You have needs in your own body. who People who are starving. People who have nothing. And you're not meeting their needs. The church isn't what you say it is. Christ must not be what you say it is. It's important. And that's why they meet the need. But the apostles say, we, as these needs are met through these men, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to preaching the word. It's huge. Because what they're saying is our commitment, we are going to be absolutely committed to praying, to praying, to praying, to praying, to praying, and to preaching, and to preaching, and to preaching, and to preaching, and to preaching. It's huge. What I'm finding more and more and more and more, I wish that I would have found long, 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 long time ago, but what I'm finding more and more and more and more is if I am not spending so much time in prayer and, and, and striving to hear from God, this, this time is meaningless. I mean, the part where we read from God's Word, that's good. But everything else is meaningless. If, if I'm not hearing from God, if I'm not getting direction from God, if I'm not spending time with God, praying and asking for wisdom, asking for insight, asking for understanding, asking for those things, asking for direction, it's meaningless. And it would have been meaningless for the apostles. The word of God has to go out. And that's what the apostles are saying. God's word is vital. And we will continue to pray. We will continue to hear from God. We will continue to preach the word. And then we'll continue to pray. We'll continue to hear from God. And we'll continue to preach the word. Because people have to hear. People have to hear the message. People have to know what God is like and what God has done through His Son Christ. And so we will commit ourselves. We'll devote ourselves to prayer and to preaching the word. Verse 5. And what they said... I love this. What they said pleased the whole gathering. What they said pleased the whole gathering. That is a huge statement, okay? Because they got a big church, all right? It's hard to get 15 people to say, we're pleased with what you've decided to do. It's hard. It's hard to get 30 people, 50 people, 100 people. It's hard to get people to say, you know what? We're pleased with your decision. It just shows the wisdom of the apostles and their leadership. And this whole group, a group with people in it who are complaining because things are not being done for their group, come together and the apostles say, you know what? It's a need. It needs to be met. We can't give up what we're doing. We have to devote ourselves to preaching. We have to devote ourselves to prayer. We can't slack on that. We can't even pause on that so that we can temporarily meet that need. No, instead, You choose people who have these qualifications. We will point them to service, but we're going to keep preaching and we're going to keep praying and we're going to keep doing what God has called us to do. And the whole group of people says, man, we like that. We like that. That's good. We're pleased with that. We can see that that's what God would want. We're good with that. 
That's a great, great, great sign of unity. I mean, we've seen that over and over in the church, but unity and one mind in the church where this body is just, man, we just want what God wants. We just want to do what God wants us to do. We just want to advance the kingdom. We want to hear from God. And so what God wants is what we want. And then we, we trust that that's what God wants. We say yes. We agree. We agree. Uh, the rest of verse 5, what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. We're going to hear more about Stephen over the next weeks. Uh, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Uh, they choose these men. They bring them before the apostles. It says in verse 6, they set them before the apostles and they prayed. The apostles prayed and laid their hands on them. And so they bring these men, the seven men before the apostles and, and uh, the apostles approve. They pray for them. And it says they lay hands on. The laying on of hands is, is symbolic. It's, it's a commissioning almost. It's a sending out. Uh, it's an affirming where the apostles are saying, yes, we affirm. We are behind. We support. Uh, we agree with these men going out and doing this. And it's also a sign in front of the people that these seven men are sub- submitting to the authority of the apostles. And so it's a, it's a great picture for the congregation where the apostles are saying, yes. We agree and we're sending them out and we're commissioning them to go and meet the needs and do the things that God has called them to do and so that God's church can advance. And so they pray for them and lay hands on them. In verse 7, I want to look at for just a few minutes here. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God continued the number of disciples multiplied, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Three incredible things where I can, I can only imagine what that must have been like in the church to see, to experience these things happen. And I mean, here's a problem in the church, and problems in the church can go two directions. I mean, a problem in the church can, can split a church, or a problem in the church can, can, can bring people together and, and advance in, the, in a stronger unit. And, and, and here's this huge, massive church. Uh, again, we don't know how many people are there. We don't know how many people have come to know Christ uh, up to this point. But it's thousands and thousands of people. I mean, when we left off at 5,000, that's when they started saying, and God multiplied, multiplied. I took 5,000 and multiplied it by 1.1, 1. 1, uh, which was pretty low multiplication. That's 5,500. That's 500 people. Uh, and so even when you multiply by a low number, when you're in the thousands, God's multiplying. It's, it's amazing wherever the church is by now. It's just incredible. And to think now that here they come together with one heart, one mind. In the, in the midst of difficulty, they come together with one heart, one mind to move forward. And they say, yes, we want to do what God wants us to do. And, and, and the response to that, and, and, and understand what I'm saying here, it's not works that brings this about. It's just God saying, yes, and I'm going to advance my kingdom through this church. And, and it's a unique thing that he's doing through this church. Uh, but God says yes, and, and these three things that happened, uh, I don't think would have happened if the issues in the church had not been dealt with. If, if, if the apostles don't wisely address the issue of the needy people not getting dis- distributed to, I don't think these results happen. But God used the apostles to wisely meet the needs of the issues that are happening in the church. And the church continues to advance. And these three things, the word continues to increase. 
Why? Because the apostles devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to God's word. And so they're preaching and, and God's word is continuing and continuing and continuing. The second thing, the number of disciples multiply. So they, again, they just continue to grow. This third thing is huge. Great many priests became obedient. Now, the priests, if you remember, are the ones that killed Jesus. The priests are the ones that were so opposed to Jesus, so opposed that they even said, you're not doing this of God, you're doing this from Satan. You're not from God, you're from Satan. And God is moving in the church so radically and I think it's because of, 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 of the needs being met. It's not just the word being preached, but it's, it's the fact that the priests are looking now at the church and saying, it makes sense. They love each other. There's not needy people there. Their needs are being met. They're caring for each other. They're a community of people. No matter how big they are, they're a community of people who's reaching into each other's lives and out to the world for the advancement of the kingdom. I see Jesus. I see that what he was saying is true. And, and here's God changing the hearts of these priests who were so opposed to Christ, who were so opposed to all that he said and all that he taught. And now God changing the hearts of these priests. That is a huge, huge thing. And I really believe, I really believe it's a result of the church being what God called it to be. It's, 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 when the world, even those who have hatred against Jesus, look at the church and it's functioning the way God calls it to, it's loving, it's loving God more than anything, and it's loving people as much as it loves itself, it's hard to argue with that. It's hard to argue with, how can people be that way? Because there's a beauty in that that, that, that only comes from God. And, and, and I want you to know that. I want you to know that, that that's what I'm saying. This growth comes from God. And even weeks ago when we talked about don't waste your Christmas in that series, I don't want you to ever be confused that when I talk about going and telling people, when I talk about evangelizing, when I talk about doing those things, those commandments and when I preach those things, those are about obedience. It's not about us doing some magic thing that makes people come to know Christ. When we talk about those things, we're just called to be obedient. We're called to be devoted. We're called to be people who obey God because we say we treasure Him. And so when we preach about those things, it's not some magic thing that we can do. And then all of a sudden, it's not about numbers. It's not about, it's about me and you looking at God's Word and saying, God said to do this. I got to obey God. I've got to do what He said because He's God and I treasure Him and what He says more than I treasure what anyone else would tell me to do. And so I'm going to do what he says. God does growth. God does the advancement of his kingdom. God is the one that's blessing. God is the one that's moving forward. God's the one that is using the apostles and using the disciples to advance his kingdom for his name's sake. I love that song, for the glory of it all. That's why he came. He came for his glory so that we would worship him so that he would be glorified in all things and above all things. That's why he came, for the glory of it all. So that he receives all the glory. And, and I don't ever want you to think, when we talk about uh, the church and Acts growing, or us going and, 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 and telling people what Christ has done in our life, that's just, it's obedience. 
That's just us being obedient, and we're just trusting God to do what only God can do, what only He can do. He can take a heart and turn it 180. He can take people that we're just writing off, and He can save them and change them and make them devoted followers of Himself. I can't do that. I can't preach in a way that makes you convinced that God is real. I can't do that. God does that. He reigns over my heart. He reigns over yours. He can do that. I pray that He does that, but I can't do that. I would never tell you to go out and do something that you can't do. And so, man, those messages, they're just obedience. It's just, we've got to obey God. We've got to do what He's called us to do. And here's a picture of the church obeying God, doing what He called them to do. And His response in this circumstance is, I'm going to advance my kingdom. I'm going to advance my kingdom. I'm going to advance my kingdom. You know, I was listening um, to John Piper, and uh, he did a sermon on this this passage. And and uh, I try not to steal things, I do. But he ended his sermon uh, with this, and I have I'm going to quote him, and I'll I'll tell you I'm quoting John Piper. It's on the CD now. All right, uh, I'm changing the name of the church, uh, and and uh, but it just it was so good, and uh, and I wanted to end our our message time and go into the singing with this question, because before I ask the question, um, every one of us here have obstacles. I do. I have obstacles in my life that affect my going forward uh, spiritually. I have obstacles in my life. I have things, flaws in my life that that affect the effectiveness of the church, uh, that will hinder the effectiveness of the church. I have flaws. I have obstacles in me. Uh, it's been so good for me to think through this question over the last couple. We wrote this message uh, weeks ago um, and, uh, and just have been able to think through it over the last weeks. And, and uh, I know the obstacles in me. I know what they are. I know uh, what needs to be done, uh, and that's surrendering. I know that whatever obstacles I have in my life to the effectiveness of the church, to the effectiveness of the gospel, to me uh, moving forward in, in uh, my walk spiritually, they have to be surrendered. They have to be turned over. And, and the question I want to ask this morning, as we go into a time of worship, the band's going to come up and, and, uh, and lead us. As, as we go into that is this, what are the obstacles in your life that affect the effectiveness of Cornerstone? What are the obstacles in your life that will affect the effectiveness of Cornerstone? of us being, as a church, what God has called us to be as a church. What are those obstacles? Now, you're all going to find one. If you, if you genuinely search, I promise, there's not going to be a handful of you that find some and have to be embarrassed about it. You're all going to find some. Uh, we all have obstacles and we all have flaws. I do, you do. The result of this is, is, is when we find out what that is, when we know what that is, some of us just, you, I asked and you're like, I know, and... and uh, the result of it is, is, is what are we going to do with that? Are we ready to say, you know what, God, I can't not do this of my own. This obstacle is huge in my life, and, and I've tried to get it out of my life. I try to do it myself. I keep falling back down. I keep falling back down. I keep falling back down. There are flaws in my life, God. I cannot take them out myself. God, I need you, and I'm going to surrender them to you. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to surrender them to you and i'm going to live for your glory i'm going to do what you've called me to do i'm going to strive to be what you've called me to be and with your help i'm going to rid my life of these obstacles 
with your help, with your forgiveness, with, with, with your power, I'm going to rid myself of these obstacles for your glory, not for my own. Not so I look like a better person, but God, because you are better. Because you're glorious and because you're treasured in my heart and you're worth me living for. And what is that for you? I don't know. You don't have to tell me. Uh, it's just right now between you and the Lord as we sing that you just prayerfully consider. The offering's going to go by through this whole time. You're just prayerfully thinking through, God, what is it? Is there something inside of me that's an obstacle right now from the church advancing, from the church being effective? And whatever it is, God, I, I want to have the faith and I want to have the, the love for you to surrender it right now. And, and just pray that. If you need to pray with someone, I would love to pray with you. Uh, but right now, just between you and God, just getting it right and doing what he's called you to do and being the church that loves each other and loves God above all things. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your goodness. God, thank you for using imperfect people. There's not a single person in the church of Acts that's perfect. There's not a single person in the church of Acts that has it all together. And there's not a single person that's in this room right now that has it all together. We don't. You know my flaws, God. You know my heart. You know the obstacles inside of me. And God, I just so want to be usable. I so want you to use me and this body to bring glory to yourself. I so want to see you work and move in the lives of people. I want to see you open the eyes of the blind spiritually so that they see you for the first time. Lord, your word says that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers. So they can't see you. They can't see you. But you have shown in our hearts so that we've seen the light of the gospel, the glory of you in the face of Jesus Christ. And it is good, Lord. We are so thankful. And now, God, we ask that the obstacles inside of us that are keeping us from being all that you've called us to be will be removed. Bring them to our attention and help us to not be ashamed. You know all things, God. You know all things. Help us to not be ashamed to confess them to you. Help us to have faith to know that you have overcome sin. And you've conquered the grave. And that you're a forgiver of sins. And that you use broken people to do great things for your glory. And pray, God, that you would stir in us a passion for who you are. And a love for you that hates sin. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.